Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, podcast listeners. Did you know that the Joyful Courage podcast is supported by donations from people like you, listeners who love the show? It's true. It's true. You can become a contributor to the podcast by heading on over to www.patreon.com slash joyfulcourage. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot C-O-M slash joyfulcourage. And you can sign up to be a monthly contributor of the podcast. Joyful Courage Parenting Podcast, episode 65? What? everybody. Welcome back to the Joyful Courage Parenting Podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. And if you're a new listener, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so happy that this is the show you're tuning into. Before I get into my guest, I have to tell you this crazy story. So this weekend, I went to the mall with my son, which is hilarious because I just don't really spend very much time at the mall. And I find malls to be just really funny places. Anyway, Ian has um, an iPod issue and his storage was running really low. So he wanted to go to the Apple store and find out if he needed a new battery. So, or what the deal was. Anyway, we go into the Apple store. We have to make an appointment. Of course, it's packed, right? Have you ever been to the Apple store? It's insane. So we make an appointment. They say, come back in two hours. We're going to text you and uh, we'll have someone take a look at your device. And so, you know, we go into the mall and we had to get him some new basketball shoes and we kind of did some window shopping. We sat in some massage chairs at Brookstone, which was hilarious. And finally, it was time to go back to the Apple store. So we go in, we have this adorable helper girl um, and she takes a look at his iPod and he's telling her, you know, I charge it and it dies really fast and I don't know what the deal is. And she says, I don't know if we can even you know, it's not, batteries aren't something you replace. You have to replace the whole device. I was, and I, and the mom, right? I'm like, oh, you mean like buy a new one? Yeah, right. That's not really going to happen. Anyway, she says, well, you know, you can replace it and I can give you a discount. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. So she's taking a look at his thing and he's chatting away and I'm chatting with her and she's really nice. And she says, okay, listen, I am about 20 minutes away from getting off of work and today's my Friday and I'm feeling really kind. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to replace this at no cost to you. And Ian and I were both like, what, 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 what did you just say? And she said, yeah, I'm going to just, I have one left, you know, it's like an iPod four or something. And she says, I have one left. I'm going to grab it and you can take it home with you tonight. So Ian and I are like dying, right? It's amazing. Whoa, great. Awesome. Sweet. So it's amazing. So we get this iPod and we go to dinner and we're both just in shock. Like, did that really just happen? We have dinner, super fun, mother-son date. Um, and uh, right as we finish dinner, he's messing around. I have to go to the bathroom. He's messing around with his iPod. He wants to, I don't know, do something with it. And he has Wi-Fi and he's like, well, why don't you just go to the bathroom here? Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Anyway, and then it's time to go. We leave the restaurant. We walk which is as far away from where we parked as we could be, right? So we get all the way to the car and we get in the car and Ian sits down and he like pats himself down. And he starts saying, oh no, oh no, oh no. And he's patting all of his pockets and he's like, oh no, oh no. And I said, hold on, hold on. You know, I'm thinking like, oh God, and relax, you're good. And I said, get out of the car, feel your pockets. He's like, I don't know where my iPod is. Feels his pockets. We look in all of the 
bags, you know, that we've brought in from the mall. It's nowhere. Okay. He's like totally worked up. And if any of you have heard me talk about my son, you know that we've done a lot of work around self-regulation. He gets really knocked over by emotion and freaks out, flips his lid for sure, big time. Anyway, he's keeping it pretty well together. I'm keeping it really well together. And the inside, I'm like, are you flipping kidding me right now that you just lost this brand new thing? But I'm like quelling that voice and just like, hey, we don't know what happened. Let's walk back to the restaurant. You probably, you know, left it, right? He's just like, he is visibly working to stay calm. So we walk like five miles back to the restaurant. We get there. And I'm pretty sure that they're going to be like, oh, yeah, here it is, right? And we get there, see the waiter guy. And nope, no, we didn't see an iPod. And and I leave. I'm like, okay. And, and they said, but listen, you know, leave your name and number and we'll get it, you know, we'll get in touch tomorrow if we find it tonight after we clean up. So I leave him my information. And I say, hey, let's, you know, let's walk on the outside of the mall, you know, because I knew that he was – pretty freaked out. And so we walk outside and he starts to cry. Not like wailing, flailing cry, but just like big crocodile tears. And, you know, he's really upset. What does this mean? And, you know, knows that – and I'm just I'm just holding space for it, right? I'm just really staying out of blame. I'm really staying – I mean, he already feels bad enough. I do not need to make him feel any worse. So anyway, we walk and we walk and we walk. It's like the longest walk. And he's like, well, can we go to the Apple store, you know? And I, I was like, bud, this is where I was kind of like, uh, are you kidding me? Like, what are we going to say at the Apple store? You know, this isn't – they're not going to replace your iPod because you lost it an hour after you got it, you know? And But I stayed calm and he's like, right. So we get to the car and um, I said, you know what, Let's let's just make sure – you know, we're probably going to get a call in the morning from the restaurant. Maybe, maybe not, but that's just, we don't know. So we don't need to freak out. And let's take a few minutes and just search the car because the iPod is red. The case he put it in is black and it's like eight o'clock at night. So it's pretty dark in the parking lot. So we're looking around, looking around. I look under my seat, you know, we're just looking all the crevices of the car and he gets in, he plops down and one last reach towards the side and I hear him go <gasps> and he found and he finds the iPod it's like wedged you know by his seat where the door is and he's like oh my god I found it I found it he's so excited so excited and um yeah and that was the story and I said wow you know I got to give you a huge compliment Ian because that was a big huge that could have been a crazy disappointment and you really kept it together. Like I could tell that you were really working to keep it together. Tell me about what that was like. And he just said, yeah, you know, I just had to really think about that. I, I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. And I just really tried to breathe and, and stay positive. And, and I said, yeah. And, you know, I did a pretty good job too. And he said, yeah, you didn't make me feel bad. I said, well, I, I felt like you already felt bad. So I didn't want to add to that. Anyway, it was so cool, you guys. It was so cool because it could have been such a nightmare, right? It could have been such a nightmare. I mean, imagine, right? He's 10. He's almost 11. He knows I'm not going to replace it. Like he even said that. He said, I knew that you you weren't going to be like, oh, let's just go get you another one. And um, and he, you know, it was just such a beautiful testament to the work that we've been doing for the last six years with him, just around regulation and staying calm and helping himself when he's feeling that flood of emotion. Anyway, I had to share that story with people that I knew would be appreciative because it was amazing. He was amazing. I was amazing. You know, I stayed really intentional and uh, just wanted to make sure that what was happening for him was something that was helpful, right? I just wanted it to be helpful. Anyway, yay, hooray, he found his iPod. Now, granted, what would have happened had he not found his iPod? Well, you know, we don't have to worry too much about that because he did. But here's the deal. Our boys, our boys, right? We're raising our boys. They are equally as emotional beings as our girls. And yet somewhere along the line, we parents 
We don't know how to develop the emotional parts of our boys. And so they're growing up to be adolescents and eventually men who don't want to talk about their feelings, who don't want to show emotions. And so there's a point to this whole story. My guest today is Tasha Shore, and she is a parent coach at TashaShore.com. She also is an author of a book called Listen, Five Simple Tools to Meet Your Everyday Parenting Challenges. She's the mother of three boys and an advocate for boys and their families worldwide. She is committed to creating a more peaceful world one sweet boy at a time and by teaching parents to care for themselves, connect with their boys deeply, set loving limits, and play wildly. How about that? Woo! So I am super stoked to share this conversation that I had with Tasha. I mentioned she had three boys. She has three boys, right? So she is in it. She's in the boy raising And she just has some really, really powerful thoughts and tools and things to keep in mind as we raise this next generation of boys because, hey, guess what? We got to do better. I mean, no offense to the men out there. I love my husband. I know so many men that are so amazing and I love all of you. But when we start to look at what's happening on the national stage, especially here in the United States, When we start to hear the conversations, I mean, we've talked about it on the podcast, the Stanford rape case, porn, you know, what's happening in adolescent lives, the rape culture that is alive. It's alive, okay? The misogyny that lives worldwide. We've got to do better. We have to do better. And the only way we can do better is if we raise boys to be men who advocate for being better who advocate for women, who advocate and stand up to other men who missed the lesson, you know, who aren't showing up well. So anyway, whoa, soapbox. So anyway, yes, yes, yes. I'm so excited. I can't wait for you to meet Tasha. I can't wait for you to listen in on our conversation. And now I'm done rambling and uh, let's meet Tasha. Hi, Tasha. Welcome to the Joyful Courage podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. I am so excited that you're here from all the way on the other side of the world. Please tell the listeners a little bit about you and what you do. Yeah, happy to. So my name is Tasha Shore online. I'm also known as your partner in parenting. And um, first and foremost, I'm the mom of three boys. My boys are now much bigger than they were when I started this work. They're 14, 11, and 9, I think if I got that right or something like that. (laughs) And um, what I do in my work is I partner with parents really to help both them and their young boys thrive. I'm looking at up up to about age 10 or so. Um, And my mission is really to create a more peaceful world, one sweet boy at a time. That's how I like to put it. And the way that I do this is by coaching parents to care for themselves, to work on themselves, to connect with their boys really deeply so that they come to them when there are issues and when they're not. I work on setting limits in a loving kind of a way, not in a harsh kind of a way. Mm -hmm. And I also work with parents on using play strategically in their parenting. That's a lot of stuff. I am so excited that you focus on boys. I have one myself and I just... You know, it's so interesting when you are really intentional about how you raise boys. And I know you're not in the States, but I'm sure you've been privy to the exciting election that's going on. And the model for what a man looks like right now is not so great. And so um, it's been, you know, it's also something that is important to me that I'm raising a son who is kind and connected and can express himself, can express his emotions, can tune into his emotions because I think we've, as a society, really, um, there's a lot that we can be doing better there. So I'm so excited to have you on today. And you were such an easy yes um, as a podcast guest. When I poked around on your site, there was one quote in particular that drew me right in and knew, and I knew that we were meant to talk, and it is, Parenting is difficult because to do it well, you must look inside yourself. You need to know what makes you sore and what really pushes your buttons. Looking at oneself, really looking inside, is a challenge. 
the thing is, the consequences of not looking are even worse. I think that that is such an important statement. And and really, it's an invitation to all adults, right? Because I think sometimes we get to this adult status and we think, okay, I'm good. I'm an adult now, so I'm just going to cruise through the world and do my stuff. And without realizing that there are so many things happening that color the way we see the world and perhaps the way that we're meeting the challenges that show up. And it could be a challenge at work or it could be a small child falling apart. This podcast is sponsored by Factor. Are you old enough to remember TV dinners? They came in those tin trays and each part of the meal had its own little compartment. I remember eating those and watching Happy Days, followed by Three's Company, maybe a little Laverne and Shirley. I am that old. Well, the situation has been totally upgraded by Factor. Factor makes delicious, ready-to-eat meals. And unlike those quick meals of the past, every Meal from Factor is fresh, never frozen, chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including meals that are calorie smart, protein plus, and keto if that's your thing. Also, there's more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. In my last order, we got red chicken chili, tamale bowls, and Italian sausage pizza casserole, as well as other delicious meals that my family loved. Plus, there's breakfast and smoothies and all sorts of other add-ons to make life simpler while also keeping it healthy. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. They've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Right now, head to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use code joyful50 to get 50% off. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50 to get 50% off. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Sometimes the way that we're showing up isn't necessarily helpful, and yeah. there's things that you know we can explore there. So I feel like that's a really lovely invitation to parents. Thank you. I think it's really funny, actually. I think you're the first person that ever pulled that little bit out of my set. <laughs> Leave it to me. That's really, well, it's really in alignment with the work that I do and with what I talk to parents about, because it's the internal experience that influences the external experience, just like the external experience can influence what's happening on the inside. Right. I mean, it's great that you pulled that. I mean, the thing is, parents, myself included, I mean, we're all so eager to just find solutions to our daily struggles, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. We're usually, we're usually just wanting to find a quick fix to get our kids to either stop doing something or to start doing something. Um, but I really believe that if we want to guide our children well, we have to first look at our own stories. We yeah. have to find our own tender spots. We really need to pay attention to what pushes our buttons and we need to realize that actually the things that push my buttons might not push my partner's buttons or might not push my friend's buttons. They actually are unique to me depending upon um, kind of what, what baggage and what, mm -hmm. what life experiences I bring to the situation. So I like to say that we, to my clients, we need to get ourselves into good parenting shape. Yeah. Yes. Love we that. can't just sit there and try to, 
you know, carve our children into what we want them to be. Right. I think that's really important. So we're going to talk about boys. And you, as you mentioned, you're the mom of three boys, right in the throes of it too, 14, 11, and 9. So my son is almost 11. He'll be 11 at the end of this month. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm curious because you kind of have this niche around working with parents of, of boys. What do you see are the biggest challenges to raising boys today? <laughs> That's a huge question, I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's there are a million of them. Right. <laughs> I mean, I could, I could list a ton, but I, I think that for me, I mean, I... I I guess the, the hugest one, the one that's most important to me is that we haven't really yet created a world where parents, I mean, sorry, where, where boys are free to feel their feelings. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, to really feel their feelings fully. And I don't mean like just anger or just aggression. I mean, all their feelings. And then what happens is that when our boys are forced to keep all these feelings inside, it's kind of like a boiling pot, right? You can kind of keep the top on it for a while and maybe you can even tilt the lid a little bit and let off a little bit of steam here and there but eventually the whole thing's going to just blow and then when that happens that's when you get those off-track behaviors that's when all of those um you know things that push our buttons start to happen and that's when we start acting in ways that we don't feel good about ourselves as parents so i mean you know th th there are a million challenges but i think to me that's the one that i'm out there to make a difference, to make a difference with. I and mean, that's what I want to help parents with is, is to help them feel safe enough to create spaces for their boys to be able to feel their full array of feelings and not, not get shut down. Yeah. And what, talk a little bit more about that. So what does it mean when you say for parents to feel safe enough to create that space for their boys, what are the things that are keeping parents from feeling like it's okay to let their boys feel their feelings. Uh, well, a lot of different things. I mean, for one, I think we're embarrassed, mm. right? We, um, be because of the way our societies are set up, parents feel very, very isolated with their struggles, right? I feel like I'm the only one whose kid ever cusses her out, or I'm, you know, the only one whose kid ever talks back. Or I am the only one whose boy interrupts in class or whatever it is. Or I'm the only mom who screams at her kid sometimes. Whatever it is, we all sit alone in our little boxes feeling like we're not good enough and we're the only one or our kid's not good enough and something's wrong with him. Right. And right. that gets in our way. <laughs> that gets in our way. So um, I lost my train of thought. Give me one second. Give me the... Um, well, I lost my train of thought. There. Yeah, no. Well, I, that's really power. I think that's really important to remember. And even you just saying that, I wanted to say, that happens to me too. That happens to me too. And I know listeners, I love that this, you know, this way of sharing information because I know people are listening right now thinking like, yeah, I do feel like I'm the only one. And listeners, you're not. You're not the only one that this, you know, these things are showing up for. But, you know. Right, right. Oh, 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 I remember. Can I okay. Yeah, yeah. Go, go, go. You're good. Keeping it real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know you said, you know, what gets in the way of parents being able to let their boys have the, have their big feelings and, right. and, and create those safe spaces for their boys. So one is embarrassment. And that's why I started talking about isolation, because when we feel alone like that, then we feel embarrassed when either we behave in ways that we don't, don't like, or don't feel proud of, or when our boys do. So I, th I think that that's just a real, a real stuck place it can be a really a place where parents get really stuck. Yeah, and I think there's this whole, you know, it seems like there's this whole picture of what a boy should look like, right? And and you know, and it's, you know, he should be strong, he should be, you know, in control of himself. He sh you know, and I mean, how many of us are married to adult boys who, you know, we're hoping to have to to connect on an emotional level and it's not available. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And and they were raised by moms who probably were equally as irritated that their husbands couldn't connect with them on an emotional level. So it's right. just this like continuous cycle. What are you noticing in your current experience of parenting boys that is informing your work? Um, well, I'm, you know, I'm watching my boys kind of grow up in a family where the healing power of releasing our feelings is really understood well and recognized as important. Mm -hmm. 
And I guess what I'm doing is I'm experiencing firsthand what it looks like to support boys, to move to move them from a place of being, let's say, more ag aggressive or showing, I don't even like to say being aggressive, but sort of expressing aggressive behaviors um, or being defensive to being more calm, to taking, uh, you know, to being accountable for their actions, to saying I'm sorry, to to all those things. I mean, I'm watching boys in my family. I'm talking about my three boys and then also, of course, my clients. But to, to get unscared. I mean, so many of the behaviors that are troublesome to us and our families, to schools, um, are, are born of, of fear. They're just little boys who are, they are good. They're good at their core. They're doing the best that they can, but they're scared. And when, when, when boys are scared or when anybody's scared, really, um, that's when we get those off track behaviors. We, we just can't keep it together. They can't keep it together. So I'm getting to see, okay, well, this is what happens when I can actually listen to that fear, when I cannot be scared by those aggressive behaviors, but just set limits lovingly and then listen to the big feelings that come up when I give my boy something either virtual or physical to push against, mm -hmm. then I'm able to see the transformations in his behaviors that go along with that. Um, so I really feel like, I mean, as my boys are getting older now, I feel like I'm really, really living the payback yeah. of yeah. having never really lost sight of my boy's goodness and really having advocated like, you know, advocated for them like mad, really just especially in school settings, but having to really like stand up and say, my boy is good. There is nothing wrong with him. His behaviors might not be acceptable. And I'm right with you, ready to set a limit. This is not okay. It's not okay to do, you know, X, Y, or Z, but he is good. Like, don't you dare, dare think otherwise or, or treat him otherwise. Like you have to, you, you can't, set a limit lovingly or help a boy transform his behaviors that aren't working without having his goodness in sight. Otherwise, all you're doing is, is making him feel bad. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and the worse he feels about himself, himself, the worse the behaviors get. You just spiral downwards. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so true. I'm, there's a couple things popping up for me. First is that there's a quote by Jane Nelson, who's the positive discipline guru lady. She mm -hmm. says, uh, where did we ever get the idea that in order to help children to do better, we need to make them feel worse. Children do better when they feel better. So that popped up for me. But also the kids are doing the best they can with the skills they have. Absolutely. And we need to take on the responsibility of being the adult in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And then really working towards discipline from a place of connection. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you asked me to, to bring up the book. So I just co-authored a book with Patty Whipfler, my mentor and the, the founder of hand-in-hand um, -hand parenting in California. Mm -hmm. And it's all about, it's called listen, five simple tools to meet your everyday parenting challenges. And it's, it's essentially laying out this philosophy of parenting by connection. Connection is at the base. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is the core. You can't, you can't correct. I think Tina Payne Bryson talks about connect um, before you correct. Mm -hmm. Yep. We talked about that in positive discipline too, too. And exactly. something that you're speaking to the choir here, because that's something that I say all the time. Our most powerful tool for influencing behavior is going to be the connection that we create with our kids. So absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And listening is a piece of that. And, and, you know, that also makes me, as I was listening to you talk about your boys and advocating for them and, you know, I think that there's this um, – when people think about boys and emotions, and you had mentioned earlier that emotion of anger and aggression and and just how powerful it can be, I know in my experience with my boy, to, you know, stay in my own calm body but to also be really curious about what's underneath his anger because typically, like you said, you mentioned fear. Sometimes it's embarrassment or sadness and – it seems to me that those emotions are really uncomfortable. And so because they're so uncomfortable, I think that we as humans, not just boys, if we can slip into anger, like there's something we can do with anger, right? Anger tends to feel a little bit more powerful, even though it can also feel really out of control. And I'm I'm curious as to what you think about that, those underlying emotions. And, and like you said, if, the, if we haven't really held space for it to be okay to feel really sad, to, for it to be okay to express 
when we're feeling, you know, hurt or disappointed or embarrassed, you know, then it's understandable that the boys will then pigeonhole all their emotions into this this funnel of, of anger and lash out. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, like I said, I, ju- I, I just feel like in order to transform, like here, here's the deal. I mean, it, it's really, it's really brain science and we know it at this point, right? When, when, when we are triggered, when our boy is triggered, he's just running on full emotion. Okay. His limbic system is on full, you know, full force there. It's all emotion and his prefrontal cortex, his thinking brain where he can plan and reason and cooperate is actually not functioning. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Okay, so in order to help sort of reintegrate the the that upstairs brain and downstairs brain, or um, you know, to 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 regain the ability to think well, or actually, we talk about in parenting by connection and hand to hand parenting, we talk about building intelligence. We talk about listening, building intelligence. Mm-hmm. We need to really yeah. be able to listen to our boys because they're already innately smart. They already know what's right and wrong. I mean, so many of us parents, we spend all this time lecturing, you know, clients come to me, they're lecturing, you know, I, I, he did this, he hit his brother, you know, and I took, took him in, I said, you know, you really can't hit your brother. It's not okay. And I, I think to myself, Ronnie, we talk about the fact I say to them, like, you know, your boy is really, he's smart. He knows not to hit his brother. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not stupid. He, he doesn't need you to tell him not to hit your, his brother, <laughs> right? But, but what he needs is you to be able to listen to his upset so that he remembers not to hit his brother, <laughs> right. so that his limbic system, so that the emotion doesn't overrun his brain so that he's no longer able to think well. Does well, that make sense? Yeah, and isn't that also a you know a point where when we listen, when we can listen into the story, then that's a place where we're gathering information and we can get ever more curious about what exactly the skills are that are missing that they yeah. can then learn to practice and are more likely, you know, it's always just more likely um to use the next time they're feeling that same kind of emotion with their brother yeah I mean, versus I listen- just don't hit you know I think that we're so good at like telling our kids what not to do right. but we forget that okay so really spending an equal amount of time at least if not more talking about practicing teaching what can we do what is more helpful what is more forwarding what's going to actually solve your problem right so I mean I have to say like I'm not a big advocate of talking um, you know, I, I'm not a big advocate of, of spending like too much time talking to our kids about, you know, sort of what's appropriate or what's not appropriate or what they did right or wrong. I mean, it's not that there's never a space for that. I think there are times when that does make sense, but mostly I think they're really, really bright and they really, really know that already. And that if they were feeling connected to a loving adult, whether that be me or dad or teacher, then those off-track behaviors wouldn't be, you know, peeping, peeking out from underneath (laughs) the sweet boy kind of a thing. So, and and the other, the other sort of from a parent's perspective, I just find that most parents are so triggered in the moment that it's very hard for me to coach parents to say like, okay, well, in this situation, um, you know, say A, but if, but if he does this other thing, then, then say B, because we tend to be so, um, running on emotion ourselves in that moment mm-hmm. that yeah. our brain is shut down and we don't have that ability to think or reason. So that, that information is then useless in that moment. So what I like to teach parents to do is to take good emotional care of themselves mm-hmm. and, um, I teach something called listening partnerships um, and I teach this to moms and dads where parents learn to listen to one another in a very unique kind of way. It's really simple, but it's just a non-judgmental kind of a way and it's not giving any advice. It's just really listening, listening lovingly. Um, And, and what, by creating a safe space then for themselves to, you know, hate their boy or can't stand when he does this or the next time I feel like I'm going to kill him when he, you know, when he he lashes at the baby like that, Uh, you know, a place where, where the parent can offload his or her feelings 
um, in a place where he or she knows that they're not going to be judged, then they have their intelligence when they're back in the real life situation with their kid. And maybe next time the toddler lunges at the baby, that their emotions aren't running so high because they've been able to kind of let off some steam out of their pot with a listening partner. And they can then say like, okay, this kid's off track. Let me just move in and set a limit. Let, let me take responsibility as the adult. Let me put myself physically between him and the baby and not let him hurt the baby. Or let me anticipate, let, let me not wish this behavior away. Let me, let me go like, okay, I realized that for the last month, every night when I'm making dinner, my son lunges at the baby. Mm -hmm. So instead of hoping tonight again that he's not going to do that, I'm going to expect that he is going to do that yes. and I'm going to make a plan because then it takes the parent out of the victim position and puts them into the, you know, proactive, I'm the adult, I'm going to do what needs to happen to shift, to help my son shift his behavior position. Yes. 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 I that. love that. I love that. I love it when parents come to me and they say, oh, this keeps happening every time, every morning, every bedtime. It's like, oh, that's awesome. It's happening yeah, exactly. every day. It's a pattern. Like you can do something with that. Quit being surprised. That's right. And it's going to happen tomorrow. And it doesn't matter how much you wish it away. It's yeah. not going to go away until yeah. you come up with a plan. Um, but, you know, the good news is that the plan is not that, so, you know, not that difficult. Right. It's not that difficult to build a connection or even re rebuild a connection when there's been hurt that set in or when there's been a lot of yelling in a family kids are so forgiving yeah, i mean they are yeah, so for sure, forgiving for sure. um it's quite amazing really how forgiving they are and um, that's good because really what it shows us is that they also know that we're doing the best that we can mm -hmm. you know parenting is super super hard it's not recognized as work but it is work yeah it might yeah. be unpaid it might be underappreciated but it is absolutely transformational and important. And, you know, the biggest legacy that most of us are ever going to, you know, are going to be leaving when we, when we leave this world are our children. Yeah. Well, I love what you said about listening partnerships. Um, last, when was it? In July, I had a guest on Kate. Oops. Look, I turned it on. Kate Orson, um, yeah. who is also a hand-in-hand -hand parenting expert, came on and talked about listening for cooperation and she mentioned listening partnerships, and I appreciated the way that you were describing them as an offload. And it makes – like something clicked for me. It makes perfect sense, right? Because just like we – you know, with our kids, when they we don't allow them to express all their emotions, I think that like our ongoing dialogue that we have as parents in our mind, you know, the same kind of – the same kind of boiling over probably is happening too. And I can see how – Having that safe space to unload, like you said, uh, kind of just gives us this fresh, open, like I, if we're a container and that container has been emptied, instead of, you know, that just continuous tape of that self-talk around, God damn this kid, blah, 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 right? That if that's empty, then I can see how the possibilities for how to respond increase like there's so many more possibilities when we're not playing that same tape over and over in our mind about our child that's right because then you have like i like i said earlier you you're able to differentiate between that sweet boy and then mm -hmm. those unworkable behaviors that do need limits that do need to stop but not because he's bad yeah like, well like he's good and these behaviors aren't working so let me as a parent move in and help him shift them yeah, and I think also helping parents to recognize, and I'm, I'm working with a group right now and we're talking a lot about this, that, you know, the behaviors aren't working. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. 
Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. You know, I put that in air quotes. They're not working, but for the child, they, you know, there, there's all sorts of things happening for the child. They're, they're navigating the world the best that they can. Absolutely. So what show, and sometimes, you know, the younger they are, development shows up and there's, you know, things happening where their bodies are telling them what to do and it just shows up as really inconvenient or irritating for the adults. So recognizing that as well. But with our, sorry, go ahead. With our sons, um, you know, and we look at, you know, when, and I talk about this too, like we're raising adults right? We're raising adults. And the goal is to have these cooperative contributing members of society who do good in the world. What do you think that um, the mindset shift needs to happen for us as a global society to see the value in raising boys who are emotionally intelligent? Yeah. I mean, honestly, if we're looking at the state of the world right now and not seeing the need to up the level of the emotional intelligence, I think we're in big trouble. Yeah. I think, I think we can see, um, you know, I decided to focus my work on boys one morning. I was sitting reading the paper one morning and it was just one horrible thing after the next. It was terror. It was murder. It was rape. It was, it was just, it was horrible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and pretty much every day it's like that. Um, but that morning, this was a few years ago and it suddenly dawned on me that those men yeah, the murderers and the rapists and and the ones who were committing terror, like they were all once little boys, mm -hmm. every single one of them. And that it was really important for me to draw a clear line between our ability to create a more peaceful world and the way we parent our boys. Because the reality is that hurt people hurt people, right? People who are yeah. hurt hurt other people. So if we can create those spaces for our boys to feel their feelings, which is the body's natural way to heal from our hurts, and if we can create that space for our boys to do that, rather than let them just amass these huge amounts of hurts and fear, this world can really look different. And this is a meaningful way that parents can make a huge difference. Yeah. So yeah. I find that my son finds a lot of success when we practice language. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll often act out scenarios together so that he can try on a response for an in-the-moment challenge that's showing up for him or if he has to have a tough conversation with a friend or an adult. Mm -hmm. And for him, too, even like, you know, we have a little park in our neighborhood and we've talked about, and I've said this on the podcast before, you know, if anything, there's also this whole little blackberry bush that the kids call the club, which is like, <laughs> oh man, I'm thinking back to my childhood, like, oh, there are so many things get, that could happen in the club and we'd all, all us adults would have no idea. Anyway, right. we've talked about, you know, if things- if and that, you, by, that, by the way, is what we take to the listening partnership. <laughs> yeah. All our fears and all our worries. <laughs> yes. Awesome. But we've also, you know, and I've also really worked with him. He's really in tune with his gut and his intuition. Um, and he, so we talk, and I continuously, you know, any chance I get like, wow, it sounded like you really listened to your gut, you know, so I try to bring it back to that. But I've said to him, you know, if you're at the park and something, you know, and your belly tells you like, mm, this is kind of weird or this is sketchy or I probably shouldn't be here. He has an out. What he does is he looks at his watch and he says, oh, I was supposed to be home five minutes ago and he's out. And yeah. so for him, it's like that saving face because I think for a lot of our boys, there's this pressure to save face. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes it can take precedence over doing the right thing. 
And so we, Ian and I talk a lot about having an out, like what's going to be your out for that? What are some ways that you support your boys in just kind of navigating the expectations and the things that show up like within their peer groups or even in the classroom? Yeah. Um, Well, I think that the biggest way that I support my boys is by um, really, really maintaining a close connection with them so that they know they have me to come to. Okay. So I, I want my teenager to come to me and say, you know, the guys are watching porn. Mm -hmm. I might not like that. I might not, you know, I might have all sorts of feelings about that, but I want him to be able to not have to pack that away and figure out how to navigate on his own. Yeah. I want him to come to me with that or, um, you know, any issues, all the issues that we face in the teen years, if it's with sex or alcohol or drugs or, you know, all the things that we sort of fear as parents. I mean, essentially our goal, I think is to, is to make, make it, make it through those teenage years and help, help our children come through without getting, um, you know, pregnant or, or, or doing drugs or, or, or kind of, you know, f- falling off, falling into behaviors that, that are sort of, uh, you know, can be hurtful. Mm-hmm. So, um, the thing that I feel like is really important in terms of doing that is, is doing what we call special time. This is one-on-one time with them. Yeah. And that I feel like is just like filling their gas tanks. So they're no, they know they're loved. They know our connection is strong. I do it regularly with them. They know to ask for it. It's something that it's a, it's a, it's a tool that they can use. So, you know, when, when, when one of my kids he used to be really, really, he used to just really fall apart when I'd have to go out in the evening, either I wanted to go out with friends or I was teaching or whatever it was. And he would just do the whole grab onto my leg and have a huge tantrum and not let me go. And it was just horrible. And then I had a brilliant idea one night um, of doing special time with him before I left. Mm. And what happened is I started doing that regularly. And after not too long, he got to the point where he had the emotional intelligence to be able to recognize that feeling of like, oh my God, mom's leaving and I'm not feeling good about this. And instead of having a tantrum, he would say, well, um, are you working tonight? And I would say, yes. And he would say, well, can we do special time before you leave? And it's just so much easier as a parent to be able to listen to that. Yeah. And like, yeah, absolutely. Let's do special time before we leave and then leave on like a happy note. So that is one way that I support my boys is by offering them that tool, offering my availability, my love on a regular basis and, and giving them that language to ask for that when they need it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another thing I do, like I said, is to, is to give them that space to feel their feelings. Another thing that I do, um, which I think is a really important way to support my boys is to set limits. And I think like there's sometimes some confusion in the world of, um, positive parenting, less so than there was in the world of attachment parenting, um, uh, about setting limits. There's, there's confusion. It's like, well, I, I, I want to respect my child's desires on the one hand. I want to, um, sort of make sure that they trust me. I don't want to breach their trust. Um, so how do I set limits in that situation? And a lot of people get confused about that. They don't feel like they can. And so I think it's a real gift. And what I try to do with my boys, and um, this is actually, this is one of my, this is one of my strong points. I call myself the superhero of limit setting. I'm, I'm good at it. I like it. I don't mm-hmm. feel one bad about it. And I do it with a ton of love. And it's what I teach my clients to do as well. But, but kids really need limits. Boys need to know that, yes, they are absolutely sweet and they are so good. But you know what? It's not okay to grab that toy. I can't let you do that Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. And so, again, I support them by offering them limits. I bring those limits early. I bring them often. I don't try to dictate how they feel about those limits. They can hate them. That's fine. (laughs) They can be upset at me. They can call me everything under the sun. I don't care what they call me in that time. I don't take it personally. Um, so I, I think that, and the fact that I don't then bring it up with them later and like, well, you know, it's not okay to call me stupid. No, yeah, I recognize yeah. they were upset in that moment. It's not like we're standing in line at the movies and they're going, I hate you. You're a stupid, dumb mom. No, that's not what's going on. It's like, they're running on emotion. 
they need to let it out. And I'm recognizing that I'm recognizing, I'm recognizing that as that safe space I was talking about. So I don't take what happens in that time personally. So not losing sight of their goodness, I think is, um, is really, really important. And then another thing I just want to add is that really giving them good information. And it's part kind of like what you were talking about, about the, the, the club, the, the blackberry <laughs> bush, whatever you want our kids to have good information. And, and I think, I really want them to know, for example, how others might react to certain behaviors. So, for example, when my kids were really young, is this like, is this, can I use foul language on this? Yeah, podcast? you can okay. do it. <laughs> I don't know what the rules are. <laughs> At some point when, when my little one was, I mean, he was really little, like, I don't know, two, three or something. So somewhere he heard fucking dick. Oh, okay? awesome. Thing. Okay, calling you're a fucking dick. This is a fucking dick, blah, blah, blah. He had, of course, no clue what that meant. Um, and this is just what happens when you're around <laughs> lots of kids and you're in public <laughs> and whatever. And I realized that the best way for me to help diffuse the situation and, and, and get him to stop saying that was to do a, two, a two, sort of an attack from two different ways. And one was to create a space for him to be able to do that. So we turned our car into a safe place for bad words. Uh-huh. Not, not when we were carpooling, just when it was just us. Okay. But on the way to school or daycare, whatever it was, we'd sort of close the windows and be like, okay, let's say all the bad words we could say. And they were little. Yeah. They were like yeah, two, yeah. six or something. So, I mean, they would say things that weren't even bad words that they thought were bad words. And I mean, it, it was, it was really actually kind of enlightening and, and pretty funny. Mm-hmm. So we, we would shoot out all these words and of course, fucking dick and a million other things. But at the same time, I would say to them, I need you to know that if you say this word at daycare or if you are your friend's house and you say that, um, you might be sent home. You might be asked to not come back to play at this person's house. Okay. And I would say to him, I would say to the boys, I would say, I know that you're just trying to figure out what these words mean, that they sound interesting, that you hear adults say things like this, and you're curious, and, and it's normal, and here's a safe place for you to experiment. But I also need you to know that there are going to be repercussions if you're out in the world. So let's do this here, but not there. And they're smart. They understand it. So yeah. good information in that kind of a way, I think, is really important. And the same thing with feelings. Like, you know what? Yes, I want my boys to be able to cry when they're sad. But you know what? If they're 11 and people are going to make fun of them if they cry in class, then I'm not going to like have their child, have their teacher sort of move in and have them lis- listen to them if you know if they even can or encourage them to continue crying in class if that's embarrassing to them, like you talked about saving face before, it's like, no, let me offer them another place at home where we can kind of rehash what happened and give them a place to feel those feelings. So, you know, I think it's a balance of real world. This is how others are going to see. This is what others' perspectives are. And then this is what we know to be true. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love your example with the swearing because (laughs) it's the same. I'm the same. I mean, my daughter does not have any desire to do any swearing. But my son is so interested in it, and we've had exactly the conversation you were talking about where, you know, we talk about, like, swearing what you know swearing at school, swearing around moms with toddlers or moms in general, you know, and yeah. how, you know, if, if this shows up at school, you get to be dealt with based on the school's discipline policy, which, yikes, I don't know if you really want to go there. And it's just, it's not a problem. It's just not a problem. He totally gets it. And every once in a while, he gets highly emotional here at the house. And yeah, you're just a fucking asshole all here. And I just rub his back and I don't really need to comment on the language because that's not what the moment's about. Exactly. And I also appreciate what you're saying too about um, setting limits and being unattached to how our kids Uh, feel about the limits, you know, like it's okay to feel disappointed. It's okay to feel your feelings and not getting so triggered by their response. I mean, it's funny to me that we think that they're, I mean, and I don't think anyone thinks this really, but there's this expectation like, well, why wouldn't they just say like, gosh, mom, thanks. Thanks for setting that limit. You know, no, that's, (laughs) it's a drag for them. And 
you know, I know that in, at, at our house, whenever anybody has kind of an outburst that might ends up being hurt, end up being hurtful, the adults have done a really good job of modeling. You know, earlier I was feeling really upset and I treated you in a way that wasn't okay and I'm sorry and this is what you're going to notice next time. And now that the adults have modeled that so much, the kids are pretty darn good at coming back after they're calm and their prefrontal cortex is back in place and saying like, gosh, sorry, mom. You know, typically I don't get a lot of details, but I I will get it. Sorry, I freaked out, mom. You know, and great ownership and accountability and all those beautiful things get to be practiced. And and, and I like to say when they're ready, because I yeah. think that's, that's a mistake that a lot of parents make. I get a lot of clients coming to me, you know, my kid is so disrespectful and he, you know, he's rude and he, he doesn't say thank you and he doesn't this and he doesn't apologize when he hurts somebody or says something mean. And, you know, I think there, there are creative ways that we can help our boys learn those skills, but we can't do it when they're full of emotion, when they're just flooded with emotion. So we have to first listen to the feelings. And then I think it's absolutely okay to set a limit around an apology, but in a way that's reasonable. So just to give an example, I remember once when, when my kids were younger, they had a babysitter came one night and she told me when she left that one of my boys really was rude to her. Mm -hmm. And So, you know, I could tell he was really upset and I listened to his upset about what had happened and blah, blah, blah. And then I said, you know, okay, um, I, I, I hear you. And when he was all calm and I said, you know what, I think it's important for your relationship to, um, apologize to her about the way you are acting when you're ready and in a way that you feel good about. So we brainstormed together of ways that he could do that, right? He could walk over to her house He could write her a letter, he could text her, he could do a million, send her an email, right? He could do all these different things. And so he helped to be part of the brainstorming. He was part of the brainstorming to come up with ideas for how to do this. And then I did set a limit, but I set a limit of a week. I said, you know, okay, by next week, I want you to, I want you to apologize to her Mm -hmm. when you're Mm -hmm. ready, when you're ready in your heart, when you really feel like apologizing, Right. Because we want I, I want the apology to come from a place of he's feeling apologetic. Yeah. Otherwise, authentic. The There's no point. in yeah, exactly. There's no point in forcing somebody to say they're sorry. I mean, it doesn't, I don't, I don't want to hear I'm sorry from somebody who's like, I'm sorry. Like that doesn't do anything for me. All that does is to help the parent feel good in front of the parent next to him, you know, because so because their child said they're sorry, even if it didn't sound that good. And that just gets, it's not that the parent is bad. It's just, you know, harkens back to that point we touched on earlier about the embarrassment Mm -hmm. about um, our kids' behaviors or our own and feeling like because we're so isolated and and not privy to what goes on behind closed doors in other people's families, feel like we're the bad parent or something's wrong with our kid. And that's when those start to to happen. And you know, as I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, yes, yes, yes. And I know that you know, from experience working with clients and and leading parent groups, that there's going to be that person. And and maybe it's you, listener, who's thinking to yourself, well, I could set that limit. And my kid would say, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. And it's so what I'm hearing from you and what I've heard from so many guests and what I articulate in my work as a parent educator is one, well, is bigger than anything is trust trust that building a solid relationship with your child will filter into all of these small things and small limits and encouragement and skills that you are going to ex- that you expect from them i mean right. just trust trust that and and it's um it's amazing when we're in solid relationship with our kids with our boys how willing they are and it's not about you know, it's not about like, how do I get them to do what I want? How do I get them to obey? Like they are separate human beings from us. And basically we're helping them navigate the world and being in solid relationship with a healthy adult who is navigating the world in a way that is, you know, effective and helpful is going to be, you know, most of the, most of the work is right there. Right. And I would just add that, you know, to trust that he is intelligent, Mm -hmm. you know, he knows that it's not okay to hate his brother. He knows it's not okay to call somebody a fucking dick. He knows all these things. 
kids, right? Um, <laughs> the the two-year-old. I can just imagine the little high-pitched voice, too. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and you being a parent educator. Isn't that always so nice? <laughs> exactly. I know, I know. Um, it's like, oh, my God, and I'm supposed to know what I'm doing. And they think, you know, I feel embarrassed, too. It's like, oh, my God, they just think I am crazy and my kid's totally out of control. But oh, yeah. that's it. Um, but the other thing that I wanted to say is also to just trust the body's natural ability to heal from hurt and upset by releasing feelings, by crying, you know, by shaking. Our, you know, our boys need to be able to tremble and release fear and shake mm -hmm. and cry and tantrum and laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. Um, all of these things are, are healing all of this emotional release is healing. And I think that's the piece that's missing from, um, you know, most parents' knowledge is that, they, is that we still are wanting to quiet our boys. Like, we don't like the loud. We don't like the big physical movement. We want, we want to contain them, to stop them, to keep them quiet and, and small. And in fact, they know, they're brilliant. They know exactly what they need to do to move through their struggles. And it, it is to offload by being loud, by, 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 by having the tantrums. And we need to learn how to support them through that because the, it's just magical what happens on the other end. Uh, and what comes out the other end is just, it's magical. It's like, you don't have to talk about what happened in the in beginning. You don't have to talk about it. It's just like all of a sudden you have this fresh boy that you don't even recognize as, as the same boy who was on the floor kicking and screaming five minutes earlier. It's just like a completely different person. It's the same person, but, but, but he looks completely different and he's much more pleasant to be around. <laughs> Tasha, this is so helpful to me personally. And I know I'm sure to the people that are listening, thank you so much for your work and your commitment to the men of the future. Yeah, I love, yeah, I love, I love working with dads too, actually. Oh yeah, me too. Definitely. And you have a blog. I do kind of, I mean, I have okay. a blog, my website. I don't, you know, I blog, I, I put stuff up on uh, Huffington Post parents and I put stuff on my blog and okay. here and there. I'm not super regular, but probably like once a month or so I'll put something up. Awesome. And you have a Facebook page, right? Tasha, Tasha Shore, your partner, your partner. in Parenting Boys. That's right. Where else and, can people find you? Um, so my website is simply my name. It's TashaShore.com. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming it'll be printed somewhere so people can see. Absolutely. The In the show notes. Uh, and our, our book, Listen, Five Simple Tools to Meet Your Everyday Parenting Challenges, can be purchased. I think I have a link to it on my uh, Facebook page. And also, you can just go to Amazon and search it. It's right there. Great. And what else I do, uh, when it, this is probably end of October, you said is coming out. So mm -hmm. actually the beginning of November, if this is still relevant, I have a, a couple of classes starting. One is for dads that I know of for sure. That's going to be um, teaching dads how to do listening partnerships, how to support one another. And I've done this before and it's been really magical for the dads who participated. So I'm really right. excited. Is that online? Um, it will be in the next few days. It'll be, it'll be up. Okay, make sure you send me a link to that, and I will put a link in the show notes so that when the show comes out, it will absolutely be relative or relevant, and um, yay, how exciting. Well, Hi. thank you so much for taking time to come on the show, and I always end with the same question, which is, what does joyful courage mean to you, Tasha? Hmm, what does joyful courage mean to me? I think it means... Um, working in this life for what you feel is important. Um, you know, being, be, being you for, I think, I think to me, courage means being, being me and supporting my children and the people I know to be them fully. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. And I don't know, to tack the joyful on the front. I think that just brings joy. I think there's nothing more joyful than just, um, sort of being, being real and full in who you are and, and the gift that you have to give. Yay. Well, thank you for being real and full and who you were for this conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's been really, really a pleasure. I've loved it. Tasha Shore in the house. How great. I 
Loved that conversation, obviously, because it went on for almost an hour. (laughs) I am hoping, listeners, that you are taking away a ton from the wisdom of Tasha. Know that all the links that she mentioned will be in the show notes, so check out the show notes. Also, super excited to share with you that I have a really special holiday offer coming up. I'm not going to tell you much about it, but I'm going to tease it. Those of you that did the Joyful Courage 10 program in August are going to be super stoked to know that next Tuesday, November 1st, I am launching Joyful Joyful Courage 10 Holiday Edition. So it'll be a 10-day program that keeps you grounded, keeps you grounded, centered, positive as you gear up for the crazy holiday season. I'm super excited. The landing page is in design right now, being developed. And uh, just know that November 1st, there will be newsletters and, and I'll mention it on the podcast. And I'm super, super excited because I know this time of year can be really stressful. And I'm grateful for my community for chiming in on this as well and letting me know exactly what it is that you need to feel supportive, to feel supported during those first 10 days of December. So You can find me on Facebook at Joyful Courage. You can find me on Instagram at Joyful underscore Courage. And I'm on Twitter. If you are interested in conversation with other parents who find value in what I offer, you can head on into the Live and Love with Joyful Courage Facebook group page, Ask to Join. I will click Accept and you're in. I post all sorts of things in there, my own work, as well as work that inspires me. All the podcasts get posted in there, and it's a great place for discussion when you have a situation or a challenge or a celebration that you want to share with a community of like-minded parents. Live and Love with Joyful Courage is a great place to be, so check it out. Check it out. Great, big, gigantic love to each and every one of you, celebrating you, celebrating all the tools that are in development, all the shifting of mindset and possibility that is happening in your life. You are the perfect parent for your child. Know that. And they have come to teach you. Know that. Big love. And I will see you all next week. And we're going to dig into adolescent girls. What? Yup. Tune in. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.